0: And answers. What causes both male and females to have same-sex attractions? Are we just wired differently? Do we act on these impulses because we were born this way? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, we will hear Pat interviewing guest Jeff Johnston from Focus on the Family as they talk about how to understand same-sex attractions. If you're unable to hear any of this message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here Here's Pat with part one of this interview with Jeff Johnston.
1: You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith in Christ and provide biblical answers to the challenges of the culture today. One of the greatest moral issues facing us today is homosexuality. Are people born gay? How can we speak effectively to the culture today on this issue and not be shut down or labeled racist? How can we reach out to our gay friends and family members with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, to help us today is Jeff Johnston. Jeff works as an issues analyst for Focus on the Family, writing and teaching about marriage, homosexuality, and gender, as well as encouraging and equipping Christians to engage the culture on these issues. Jeff graduated from San Diego State University, and he's married to his lovely wife, Judy. And they've been married for 20 years and have three teenage sons. So Jeff, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for having me on your broadcast. Well, Jeff, you know, one of the first questions we are often asked is, why should we as Christians care about the sexual life of another person? I mean, some argue that what I do in my bedroom, you know, is none of your business and doesn't affect you at all.
2: Well, yeah, I've heard that question before, that that response to Christians talking about sexuality. I, I can think of a couple reasons why we care about this issue. One is that we understand as Christians, and we try to teach biblical truth, and that includes the truth about human sexuality, that God made us male and female in his image, and both men and women reflect the image of God. We believe that marriage unites a man and woman in a permanent, committed, monogamous, lifelong union, And we also believe that marriage unites a mom and dad with any children they have. And then that picture of marriage is is tied deeply to some of our most important doctrines. For example, marriage in Scripture it's a picture throughout of our relationship with God. So the Bible begins with male and female in Genesis, and it ends with a wedding feast in Revelation where Christ is the groom and the church is his bride. And so anything that distorts that picture that God um, gave us and of what marriage is, that distorts our relationship with Christ. And so because we know that God loves us and he cares for us deeply, um, we believe that follow his design is best for people. And so in our churches and in our ministries and even in the public square, we want to be able to proclaim those biblical truths and help help people live out that biblical truth. And then secondly, we care about the issue of sex and sexuality, not because we're you know trying to peer into people's bedrooms or uh, we're that interested in what they do, but The reality is that what people do in the bedroom comes out into the public square. And so you have all these different venues like entertainment and the news media and education and the law that use their view of sex and sexuality and portray it in what they do. And that affects us and our children. Let me just give you two examples. In the law, when the Supreme Court redefined marriage last summer, Um, they made it into something that it had never been before. They said that two men or two women could be married. And that law, that legal change, affects Christians. Those of us who disagree with that now we're portrayed as bigots and haters, and some people in businesses are being fined and punished because they're seen as discriminatory. And so it's not that they're concerned about what's going on in the bedroom, it's because what's going on in the bedroom is now affecting us. Just another little example. In California, they now have laws that mandate that children be taught lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender history, and that starts as young as kindergarten, with kids in those early ages being taught about those different issues. And then in Washington State, um, they just came out with guidelines recently that said that kindergartners, should be taught about what gender identity is and how there are a lot of different genders and different gender roles and expressions. And they they came out with guidelines for all the ages, but it starts as young as kindergarten. So we're concerned when those issues... Um, spill out into the public square and begin to affect us and our families and our ability to live as Christians in this world.
1: Yeah, Jeff, you know, also uh, one of the things I also state in in the research that I have done, not as much as you, of course, but that homosexuality or the gay lifestyle is a very dangerous lifestyle to the individual and to the culture. Would, Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I think any time we deviate from God's plan for sexuality and marriage and relationships, we encounter a lot of different harms. And so we know that divorce, for example, hurts children, and they've done a lot of different studies on those effects on children. And it also hurts the people that get divorced. And in the same way, same-sex behavior, um, people who get involved in that tend to deal with a broad range of issues everything from alcoholism to overeating to sexually transmitted infections to psychological and emotional issues and It seems as if living outside of God's design, what we're now learning from all this social research is that living outside of his design affects us in a lot of different ways, including our mental, our emotional, and our physical health. And so, yes, I would say that acting on your homosexual desires can be very dangerous. For men especially, we know that 60 or 70 percent of those who are diagnosed with HIV or AIDS are men who have sex with men. And so, again, uh, sin has consequences and one of the consequences can be physical.
1: Yes, you know Jeff, a lot of the medical research I've been reading is that the human body is not meant for the kind of sexual activity and so it's physically damaging to the body, but also as uh, you alluded to, there seems to be a very high rate of promiscuity in the gay community and many ex-gays that I have talked to speak that they have had multiple I mean, dozens of partners in their lifetime while they were in the gay community and they say that is promiscuity is at a very high rate in the gay community and that would make a very dangerous lifestyle wouldn't it
2: exactly i think i was reading one study recently that said somewhere around one-fifth of all uh, men who identify as gay and engage in same-sex behavior are hiv positive and so if you're having multiple partners within that group of people, your odds of contracting AIDS or even some other sexually transmitted infection. We know that others have been skyrocketing within the uh, community of men who have sex with men. Now, 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 not all men who engage in that kind of activity are promiscuous or have multiple partners, but there's certainly a, a, a large number that do. And and there may be a number of reasons for that, but it's outside of God's design and it's not his best. And we know that sex is highly addictive. And so some people in that lifestyle are, are, are going to be addicted to it.
1: In what percentage in the U.S., are gay, we're hearing numbers of 10, some as high as 15 percent. What percentage do you think most accurately represents the gay population here in the U.S.?
2: You know, the real answer is that nobody knows. (laughs) Because when social researchers try to figure this out, they don't exactly know what to measure. Being gay, that whole concept of being a homosexual, that's a really modern construct. Back in biblical days, there were men and women, and there were men and women who might have done certain things, including uh, men who had sex with other men. But people didn't Call each other or call themselves by their sexual attractions or what we might call today sexual orientation. And so, researchers have a hard time figuring out what percentage of the population actually is homosexual or might might struggle with same sex attractions. And so, one set of researchers did a really big study about 20 years ago, the Chicago study, and they measured three areas. They measured um, attractions and fantasies. As one area, they measured people's identity as another area, and then they measured behavior, and they found that there were overlapping circles in each of those areas, but that they weren't all the same. So you might have somebody who identifies as gay or lesbian, but doesn't act on it or you might have somebody who has the attractions but doesn't take on board the identity. So you have all these different groups and they really didn't quite know what to measure, but they came up with a number somewhere between two and 3% of the population seems to be currently either identifying as same-sex attracted or identifying as gay or engaged in those kind of behaviors. And what's really interesting is that because of all the media attention this subject gets, when they ask your average American, how many, you know, people do you think are gay? What percentage of the population? They get numbers, you know, anywhere from twenty-five to fifty percent. When it's a, a really low number, somewhere between about two and three percent.
1: Well, Jeff, you know, if if the number is that low, two to three percent, why does this community have such a big influence in Western culture?
2: That is the question. Of the year isn 't it yes, thank you. <laughs> How can two, three percent of the population and not not even all that whole group is involved in in activist efforts part of the reason that they've been so influential in the culture is that they have a lot of allies. You have people in the academic world who have rejected biblical truth, they've rejected God's design for sexuality, they believe that maybe truth is relative. you're, You're an apologist, right? So you know some of these things that they believe, that there's no absolute truth, and you can define truth however you want, and I can define it my way, which is antithetical to the Christian worldview. But you have a lot of people in the academic world and in positions of power and authority and government and in the entertainment world who side with the LGBT, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender agenda. And so they've got power because they've allied themselves with other people. One of the other things that they've done rather brilliantly throughout the last century, we had a huge push for equality in the U.S. And that included uh, women pursuing the right to vote and pursuing... Um, You know, the ability to do whatever jobs they wanted to do and to have equality in the workplace. And then you had the same thing with uh, the African-American community battling Jim Crow and, and fighting those laws in the 60s and 70s and fighting discrimination. And the LGBT movement tacked themselves onto the tail of that movement and said, we're the same. We're like the women's rights movement. We're like the African-American movement, and we want the equality the same as everybody else. We want the same rights people have. And so nobody wants to be against equality, and nobody wants to be against rights, but People haven't really sat down and thought about the fact that homosexuality is quite different from being a woman or being African-American. If you're a woman, you're born that way. If you're a man, you're born that way. If you're African-American, you're born into that ethnic group, that subculture. But homosexuality is a behavior. It's something people do. It's attractions. It's something that you can't necessarily even see in people. But they've tacked themselves on to the civil rights movement, and so many people, they want to be. They want to be liberal-hearted. And so they say, yeah, we'll bring you the rights say you need. And so they've allied themselves with the LGBT movement.
1: Yes, you know, they have portrayed this as a civil rights kind of movement. And I guess the argument we constantly hear is that, well, we're born gay. We are born this way. And so just as you're born African-American, just as I'm born Asian-American or Caucasian or whatever it may be, this is the way we're born Are people born gay? I mean, have we conclusively proven that?
2: No. You know, being human is really complex, and our human sexuality is complicated. And the truth is there are no complicated relational or sexual or social behaviors that people are born with. Humans take the longest time of almost any species to to grow up and to mature into adulthood. And most of what we do is things that we've learned or picked up from the world around us, things that we've learned from our parents and in school and by watching and by our own interactions with the world. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, there were a number of groups that tried to study genes, and they studied brain structure, and they studied twins to try to prove that people are born gay. And so there were a lot of headlines in Time Magazine and Newsweek and other places that said, born gay, or is this baby born gay? And the reality is all those studies have fizzled out, and we know that there's not one gene that makes people do something. And as Christians, of course, we believe that humans have a will. Now, our will is subject to sin and to our fallen condition in this world but we still make choices and so we uh, we believe that homosexuality is complicated nobody chooses to have these attractions typically But at the same time, it's not something you're born with. It's more complex than that. It's a complicated interaction of a person's personality and their responses and events in their lives and then some of the relationships they have and ideas and behaviors. All kinds of things go into this whole construct of being gay. Now we did a a resource here at Focus on the Family and we released this a, a few months ago. It's called Are People Born Gay? And if you go to the FOCUS website, you can find that there. You can just do a search at focusonthefamily.com for our people born gay. And we, we look at the research on this issue, and we conclude pretty strongly that people aren't born that way.
1: Yes, that's a very valuable resource there, the com, extremely valuable resource there. Well, Jeff… How do people generally enter into the gay lifestyle? I know that each person has their own individual story, but generally speaking, what are some ways then that people end up entering into the gay lifestyle?
2: Well, as you said, each person's struggle is different which is why if you're dealing with an individual, you've befriended somebody maybe who has the struggle or you're reaching out to somebody who's a part of the gay community, you don't necessarily want to make assumptions about them. And you want to ask questions about their past and about things they're going through right now, just as you would in, in any other relationship. And you want to learn to listen to them. Now, people go into this through a lot of different roads, but there are some common factors that a lot of people have who have gone into homosexuality. One of the most common is that when they're younger, they might have what we might call gender non-conforming qualities. So a boy who isn't stereotypically boyish and and all rough and tumble and into sports and things, he might be more artistic or more sensitive or more into theater or drama or creating. Uh, A boy like that would probably be a little bit more likely to go into homosexuality than another boy who wasn't built that way. And so some of it seems to be kids who aren't uh, conforming with their own gender. And then for both men and women, there are a number of studies that show that men and women who grew up to have same-sex attractions often were molested or sexually abused or exposed to sexuality inappropriately at an early age. For men, it seems to be about three times the rate as heterosexual men. So. You know, having something happen to you as a kid doesn't make you go into homosexuality. None of these are determinative, but they can be factors for somebody in homosexuality. So somebody who's molested a boy might question his sexuality. Why did this happen to me? what does it say about me? What does it mean about me that this happened? And we know that it can create confusion and anxiety and a lot of questions about a boy's identity. So characteristics that are gender nonconforming, sexual molestation, that's, a, that's another common inroad. A couple others, if a kid grows up and is disconnected from the parent of the same sex, we learn as boys, how to be men by watching our fathers and by interacting with our fathers. And so if something happens to disrupt that relationship, and we're not casting blame here, we're just saying, hey, this happens a lot in a broken world, that people grow up with this kind of broken relationship. That can be another factor leading into homosexuality. And then a boy, maybe, who overconnects with the opposite sex. In my case, I was more strongly connected with my mom and my sisters than with my dad and with other boys. And so those can be factors as well for people. The bottom line is we don't know for everybody, and it's probably different for everybody, but we do know that because we're born into a fallen world, Scripture tells us that some people are going to struggle with this. Uh, in, In Romans, when Paul lays out all of humanity turned from God, and didn't give thanks to God, but they turned away from the truth, one of the consequences of that is that some people go into homosexuality. And so we can even expect in churches and in Christian families that there are going to be some – kids who struggle with this, just like other people would struggle with anger or greed or stealing or lying. So there's no simple answer to that, just as there's no quick fix for leaving homosexuality as
1: well. So Jeff, what would you say to a young man who, or young woman who tells you, you know, as long as I can remember, you know, I was always attracted to the same sex you know, I was always attracted to men or I was always attracted to women. That's as long as I can remember. I've got to be born that way. Well, how would you answer or speak to someone who's who's saying that?
2: I would start out by asking some questions, questions like, what do you mean you were attracted to men when you were five years old and six years old? And do you think that was a sexual attraction or do you think that was just the normal attraction that boys have towards men, that they want to be like that man, they, they want you know, heroes and, and and mentors and people to follow. It's really, really normal for most young boys to have strong relationship with other boys and to have men that they kind of idolize a little bit, that they look up to. And so I would ask them, do you think this is a sexual thing or do you think this is just that normal longing to go into the world of men and to be part of that world of men. And if they say, well, I think it was sexual at five or six years old, that brings up a whole nother set of questions, because most kids at that age aren't really sexualized, and so I would begin to ask questions about you know, well, well, what do you think happened to sexualize you at that age, or was there anything else going on that might have opened you up sexually in ways that were inappropriate? Exposure to pornography, experimenting with other boys, things like that, so I, I would ask a lot of questions, and, and I I would also begin to assure them that it's pretty normal for young kids to look up to and want to have role models that are the same sex they are. Little girls who look up to other women and want to be like them in some way. Um, Likewise, if there's a strong rejection of men at that age, that's a problem too. And I would want to talk about that with somebody that struggled with this issue.
1: Yes. You know, Jeff, and also, you know, the body chemistry is changing quickly. Their brain is still developing. Those nerves are still connecting. I mean, they're really developing as a human being. And on top of that, you got all these images and messages from the media and the culture. It can be a really confusing time for young men and women, can't it?
2: It is, and we're seeing that a lot in the culture. There have been some recent studies that show that younger people in their teens and 20s are more and more open to sexual experimentation They're more and more open to homosexuality. They're more and more open to being what they might call a different gender, you know, not fully male or not fully female. And so there's all kinds of things going on in the culture that create confusion for people. And those would be things I would want to sit down with somebody and talk about. I would also encourage young people that are struggling with same-sex attractions not to define themselves by them, because that's not how God defines us. He says we're men and women, we're male or female, made in His image. And He wants us to grow up to be healthy men and women. He, he doesn't define people as gay or lesbian. That's not His language, that's the world's language. And I would also tell them that a lot of people change over time. There's been a number of studies that show that kids sometimes go through a period of confusion in their teens. and. Most often, there's a drift towards heterosexuality, towards opposite sex relationships. So many, many kids who might say in ninth or tenth grade, you know, I wonder if I'm gay. By the time they've graduated or they've gone to college, they're saying, no, this is not who I am. And we, we want
1: to embrace identities that come from God, not that come from the world. You're listening to our interview with Jeff Johnston. He works as an issues analyst for Focus on the Family, writing and teaching about marriage, homosexuality, and gender. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about this issue of homosexuality with Jeff.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and also Pat's books. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, State Farm Agent Sue Ann Liu. For all your insurance needs, home, auto, or life, contact Sue Ann Liu at SueAnnLiu.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.